standing standing in your truth because of course that's why we don't speak up isn't it we don't speak up because it's a bit like when I said you know people think it's so woo um some people will and, and actually that's fine because they can have a different path hello and welcome to the courage to be podcast where we explore how to raise your game lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose I am your host Sinead Millard Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's conversation. I was pulling together the clip this week, so each week I will pull together a short clip featuring some of the highlights from my conversation. And yeah, I was just left with far too many highlights. (laughs) And I think that really talks to today's guest, who is a wonderful Marion Boswell. And Marion is a leading landscape architect known for designing beautiful landscapes in sensitive places. We talk about Marion's work today, which regularly features in national magazines and has won many awards. Marion founded her studio, uh, MBLA, in 2004. But as always on The Courage To Be, we open up the conversation much more. We talk about writing. We talk about the courage to use your voice. We talk about beliefs that have been inherited, beliefs that Marion has chosen to let go, some of the lessons that she feels she's learned. And as a parent, some of the lessons that she's been inspired to pass on to her children. And of course, um, we look back on the year that has just gone with COVID and isolation and hear how that has been for Marion. And yeah, I think I think that's all for me. I think you'll see pretty quickly here. Uh, Marion has a wonderful way of words, of painting a picture, of using language to depict how it is she has experienced something or sees something. And I think um, or I hope you find that just as wonderfully uplifting and nourishing as I did. All right, that's all for me. I'll hand you over to my conversation with Marion. Marion, you are very welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. Um, Marion, I'd like to begin with, in your words, you work with the land and people that love it. I would love for you to bring this to life for us. So what does that mean? And, and maybe even what inspired you to do the work that you do today? So I was drawn to write that because I think it, um, it's very clear. It's very clear to me that um, as, a, as a landscape architect, you have two, at least two clients. You have the person who engages you, or the people who engage you, and you also have the land, because um, it's really important that we all think of the land and that we all are working towards the common good of the land. And so the people that love the land are the people that invite me to help them to to do something with it. So that was why I, that's why I, you know, have that as my kind of uh, strap line on Instagram. I think you probably would have seen that. Yes, um, yes. And I think that love is is a really important thing as well, because um, you hear about sort of ecosystem services, <laughs> all these kind of scientific ways of looking at sort of how many trees we can use and how much carbon they can lock up. But actually, deep down, it's about love. It's about how we treat each other, and about how we treat the animals, the plants, the, the insects, everything is how, how we are part of, of Gaia altogether. So, yes, that's, that's the kind of bottom line if we're diving in deep straight away. <laughs> yeah, no, we're definitely diving in deep. And I think there's two yeah. things that come to mind. You've raised the word love now, which I'm quite interested in, because recently I've been enjoying a lot of the work of Alain de Bouton, who talks about love and, and how we sometimes view it and other ways in which we could view it. So I think maybe in the context of your work, but in life more general, what does love mean to you? Gosh, um, 
I think it means a deep sense of belonging and and of coming home Mm. and of that amazing peace, that stillness, that stillness that you can find if you're walking at dawn and it's just you and the larks in a big field, just larks ascending, or um, if you're meditating and you can just feel that amazing stillness beyond everything else. That that and the community of fellowship with other people and, and animals and that's yes that's what I mean by love it's a kind of huge universal undercurrent which underpins absolutely everything that we do and that we share and the, the whole reason really for being yeah because I think I think I did read on, on preparing for this conversation at one stage did you say your first love was plants did I dream that or did I, dream that? <laughs> I don't know that I did say that but um I I know I my first love was probably my grandmother and she introduced oh. me to to plants I mean obviously I love my parents and so on but the person the first one person I really remember just adoring um was was her and I remember spending hours in the um in the garden with her weeding actually weeding out great parsons which my father didn't like I quite like them now I always tease him about that <laughs> but I think they got through the, in the paving stones and he didn't like that uh but she was an amazing amazing woman and one of my first memories is waking up in the middle of the night and um we were camping outside my sister and I and being a bit scared I must have been about four and peeking out of this den and and she had sat up all night I, she was sitting there with a rug over her knees in the corner completely outside and she must have been I don't know how old she was it, it was quite soon uh, before she died so she must have been quite old but that was a wonderful feeling of love it's beautiful and it's interesting in preparing as well I started to reflect on some of my childhood memories and maybe this is a nice place as well to bring the audience in and it, and, and for me it's not I've never really reflected on and I guess my childhood in the context of, of nature and my garden. And and I realized that so many of my strongest memories were actually outdoors. And uh, I think I, I was inspired. It was, it was through your TED talk, and we'll, we'll come on to that at a point in time. And I guess it would be nice maybe at this point in time even to invite the audience to reflect and to think about that, because I certainly didn't think I had that many memories. Like I, I wrote a few down, and I remembered the dandelion clocks, helicopter trees, blackberry picking and thinking that, you know, as as a as a young child I had almost this natural affinity to nature that we we were connected to the seasons or we knew when the blackberries were coming and would always claim we'd never eat that many blackberries again and then you'd start all over until the season was finished. <laughs> and, and and like falling into a bunch of nettles was like a part of childhood. It was just when 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 was it going to happen? That was kind of it. And then using your dock lease for a cure. Yes, and I think yes. it made me feel quite melancholy but proud to think, gosh, that that was an incredible part of maybe a part of my childhood that I hadn't fully given credit to my parents because we would we would head up the fields kind of quote unquote with my cousin. And I remember we'd spend the entire day up there thinking every, you know, everyone's going to be worried about us when we get home. And of course, nobody noticed <laughs> meeting that need for freedom, but also that, that affinity to nature. And I guess I started to think about my girls and, and there it, it's quite different, even though, yes, there is that intention for them to get out in nature. And I guess I'd love to hear from you on this. I'm kind of sharing a few anecdotes and stories that were quite powerful f- for me and mm. 
maybe some of your early memories, but also what's the connection between well-being and childhood development as it relates to to nature? Yeah, well, I think one of the one of the extraordinary things for me when we moved out of London was that um, in your you know when you're in a London park. You do spend all your time. My children were sort of three and five or something like that when we moved out. You spend a lot of time saying, you know, don't go in the bushes without me. Don't go out of my sight. Mm. And it was quite difficult to begin with when we moved here to to get them to let go of my apron strings because we had sort of almost inbuilt a, a fear into them that um, they that they shouldn't be wandering off down the car. I mean, it didn't take very long at all for, for the change, but I did think at the time, gosh, Oh, you know, we are conditioning, I was conditioning, I'm not saying everybody does, I was conditioning them to be afraid. Um, whereas actually, when they were here, it was wonderful then to see them uh, disappearing off. There was there's an extent to how loose the apron strings ought to go, and perhaps mine were too loose, because there was one time when I came outside to hear them calling me from the top of a... <gasps> is it a 20, 20 meter tree? <laughs> and they were right at the top of this enormous pine tree, both of them saying, look, mummy, we can see the local town from here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's very clever. One hand onto the branch as you come down. <laughs> and of course they did come down just quite safely, but yeah. So, so but I think that those childhood memories and being allowed to scrape your knees and, and, I think these days, perhaps if people live in towns, they save it up for, for holidays. And then we all remember, though, don't we? As soon as you take your children away and you watch them play on the beach and that lovely sand between the toes or and mud, mud pies and all those sorts of things. I think it's we and it's not just children, is it? The, the adults. I've loved listening in lockdown to people's stories of how they've reconnected with nature. They've had time to be at home. And even my husband, who's you know, zipping around the world most of the time. He's had time to walk the dog, to feed the chickens, to notice the birds. You know, it's just, we've been, there's been lots of very bad things about lockdown, but there's been lots of very good things too. Mm, and actually now that you've, you've brought up lockdown, I was um, on, a, on a call with a group of women last week and we kind of ended up reflecting, I guess it's COVID anniversary, so to speak, if we can call it that, of a year being in lockdown. And as you look back at, at the last year, have there been certain lessons that you that, that maybe have come to life for you or yeah I'd love to maybe just hear what that's been like for you well I think the slowing down for me has been a dream come true um I have been so worried as mo- many many people have, have about the rate at which we're burning fossil fuels and the rate at which we are polluting um, the earth and it's completely unsustainable and just last year I would get up early in the morning and I would just video the silence because it was extraordinary and I remember the first time when the planes went over again seeing the the you know the streaks in in the sky and thinking gosh well that's the beginning of the end of this amazing period of, of quiet so the the lessons there really are uh, about the fact that we can do something about how we live if as a collective we want to and I think some of the wonderful things going on with people speaking up around the world about how the world that they want to see happening um, has been born out of this amazing realization of we all think that we're powerless and the machine is going one way or the machine or they are doing something 
that actually each one of us has a little bit of power in in how we live. And I'm seeing more and more, I'm loving seeing people talking about sustainability, conscious design, all these sorts of things. And in a way, some of it doesn't matter if some of it's greenwashing because the real thing will follow. But if people's, if that's the way we're moving, the real thing will follow. So that for me, um, the lockdown was um, about that. And the other, the other funny thing about lockdown is um, it, it was quite good for introverts. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love to write and I love to talk to people and I love to meet up with friends. Um, but big groups and big parties are, are kind of not my favourite thing. So um, it was a bit of a leveller, really, between the people who, who think and, and write and do and, and the people who jump up and down and make a lot of noise. Um, so I think quite a few introverts quite liked it. I don't know if you found that with other people. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring up writing, actually, because that's something I wanted to bring into our conversation. And you write beautifully from from what I've read on your Instagram, right? And I'm sure there's much more that I've that I've never had the opportunity to read. And oh, and you. and yeah, and, and lately, um, to your point, actually, during lockdown, I I've taken to writing a little bit more, very little, just getting my thoughts on a page. Sometimes it oh, turns good. into a poem. Sometimes it doesn't. Who knows? Um, and, and I have this sense that writing is an act that helps me, that supports me. And, and I'm curious to learn a little about your relationship with writing and perhaps how it has or has not evolved over the years. Oh, I love writing. I mean, I love words. Um, so my first degree was languages. I read modern languages at Oxford first. So that was before I did landscape architecture. Um, so how words work and how, how they can be different and how the same words on the same page but moved around in different order can mean different things. Uh, yeah, I, I love words. Um, so I think I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be a designer, probably. Mm. Um, and what, what I really like about words is that they can paint a picture um, with your eyes shut and they can get across a feeling or a, um, a message um, and, and it's there forever. I mean, if you think of the Berlin poem, it's um, words and, well, and all of art is, is there forever. Um, how it's evolved, I think, uh, it's, it's lovely. Uh, I think that so many things are gifts from other people um, and um, I know that when you and I met, we met on an Elizabeth Cairns uh, course. Yeah. And that was an amazing gift. So a friend of mine, Nicolette, pinged me a, a message on Facebook or Instagram saying, oh, I've just seen this lady. I think she'd be right up your street. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those moments when you sort of have that sort of heartbeat, like, oh, my goodness, I've got to book this right now. And what was amazing about Elizabeth's couple of days was that she teased out of me, and I'm sure other people as well, why it is that we do what we do and after that I felt a little bit braver to talk about it and to speak my truth and to stand my ground and then I began writing more on Instagram then somebody else said oh would you like to write some articles so I wrote some articles for Gardens Illustrated and then I was given this award Garden Columnist of the Year and that led to a book and so on you know things it's just extraordinary how people offer you things and you sort of well I suppose it's you just thank the universe really and you grab the opportunities when they come um and writing for me is a way of sharing ideas and, and having a community because people write back which is really nice <laughs> that that's 
that's beautiful. And, and is writing a form of therapy for you, too, in terms of your own personal reflections or getting your own personal thoughts on a page that may never be shared? Do you know, it used to be I used to write a diary from when I was 12 till about when I had children. Um, so it used to be very much like that. And I, I love um, the um, the work of like Sarah Salway. She does some fabulous um ways of working with and I've forgotten it's the artist way isn't it where you write your, mm-hmm. your daily pages um which I I don't do but I think it's a brilliant idea um I don't know if it's a therapy so much as it's a a lovely way of concentrating your own ideas you sort of find out about yourself don't you as you write mm-hmm. and that's one thing that Sarah Selway writes you know I don't want to write a novel just to write a novel I want to write a novel in order to find out who I am so I think that's I, I think it's a great way of learning as well if you're if you have to write something, you have to research it. And that's part of the fun. Yeah, and um, also you find out what you notice. And then there's always patterns in what you notice, which is quite interesting as yes, well. Yes, yes. Is that what you've been doing? Yeah, for sure, in part. And then I think it's also just getting words on a page. So getting my thoughts on a page. So that could be if I'm worried about something, something's on my mind, feeling overwhelmed, the very act of writing. Even if I don't read that back or I kind of, get rid of that page afterwards um I still find it really useful and I was inspired I was listening to a conversation on a podcast called on being and they were talking about the fact that there can be some snobbery around writing and what's good and what's bad and I guess language is arbitrary and there is no right or wrong and I've been just enjoying being a bit more playful with no expectation um if that makes sense no and and also I think creativity um stifling creativity it's amazing when you go back and look um at all the times when you've been shut down and and you've been shamed or you've been made to feel vulnerable um and one of the things in my job with my team is how to open up that creativity and there are no bad ideas and we work some great architects there's one called jerry tate there are no bad ideas come Mm. on um and just to open that up because so often one is is afraid that it'll, somebody will look at you and say, oh, that's rubbish. I remember at university, I loved a romantic poem when they said something about, I can't remember, maybe it was the woman's eyes were like stars or something, you know, which perhaps, and, and the the, uh, the Don I was uh, talking to said something like, well, that's such a hackneyed phrase how ridiculous but it was the first time I'd read it and I quite liked it <laughs> and I think that we we trample on so much through sort of quasi cleverness don't we whereas actually that um, naivety and, and fresh eyes is is so important and that's how we are going to change the world it's not by accepting everything and uh, it's always been like that and the clever people think it must be like that it's by challenging it and saying no we want to live a different way we want to change the way we live and there are better ways do you know Charles Eisenstein he wrote a brilliant book called the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible and he's just challenging the way we do things and it's, it's beautiful yeah, it's beautiful and I think on that note and as regards challenging things like if we come back to the theme which is the courage to be which is to live a life according to our values right which sounds incredibly simple but we've all inherited lots of different values and beliefs and sometimes deciphering what is actually ours versus what we have inherited is is quite challenging so I guess I'd, I'd also love to hear about your experience of uncovering perhaps what's truly important to you and 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 perhaps values or beliefs that you've chosen to to let go 
I think that is very interesting because um, if we're all born innocent, uh, but perhaps with a soul that might have um, been born many times, then we're then programmed as we get come through this life. And as you say, you sort of put on layers and layers, you carry all this weight of expectation and uh, belief systems. Um, and I think some of the belief systems I have chosen to change would be around uh, possibly religious views and possibly um, views of hierarchy. Um, and yeah, I think, I think where we stand in the world and what happens next, all those sorts of things. I think that um, what, I was I went to a Roman Catholic school, which is a lovely school, and all of my a lot of my very very good friends are still from there. So we were very tight tight knit, lovely bunch of people. Um, but we were brought up to be good girls, and I think that that's one of the things which I think um, I'm delighted to see the next generation challenging, um, which I think is that sort of not not towing the not towing a particular line. Um, uh, and I also I was in, brought up in a system where my my, my mother um, you know was a stay at home mother and I was the first person in my wider family to go to university. Um, my cousin followed soon after, but nobody else had gone to university before, let alone any women. So I think that makes me sound very old. But it's only one generation ago. Um, so that's that was a big belief system to challenge. Um, and yes, yeah, speaking your truth and standing for your truth, I think is something which is really important. Um, and I encourage anybody that works with me or my children or my friends or anybody to really think about what it is that they believe and then say it. Has that been something that you've had to kind of work on or what has your relationship, I guess, as well, we talk about the courage to use your voice here on the podcast quite a lot and fear and uncertainty can be huge blockers to using our voice. Um, so maybe useful for the audience to just to hear um, what your journey around kind of expressing yourself in the world has been like. Yes, well, I think that, oh, I can feel myself ah! <laughs> Obviously, not so quite so comfortable talking about this, so I'll unfold <laughs> and smile. Um, yes, I think that, um, so talking to Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Cairns, who does the Empowered Entrepreneur, was very helpful. So she talked to me about sort of speaking my truth, speaking up, and I'm much better, I had been much better at talking about that Um about helping other people do that than myself. So um, I came back to my team from then and said, okay, I, I would really like to share with you the, my vision of how I think the studio is going to, to go. Because having um, sort of exploded out of the corporate world, when I set up my studio, I was very keen for it to be a, um, a very nurturing, very positive, very entrepreneurial uh, type studio. But we were doing fairly normal work uh, with me doing what I believe very quietly by myself but then at this point I said to them okay I believe that we are guardians of the land and I know when I when I first said it I was like oh man you can't say that out loud it's so woo you know <laughs> um, but that is what I believe and so I made myself say it and they were all like well yeah we thought mm. that's what you believed because that's kind of how you <laughs> acted 
<laughs> so it's so funny. You think you think that nobody, you think that you're, you know, covering yourself in this sort of tortoise shell of of, of, um, of impenetrableness, but actually people can see through you. So um, from then on, I was just encouraged to say much more about how I believe. Uh, we can work and how we can work with the energy of the land and how we can work with the uh, obviously the history the topography and very much sustainability and so we uh, now all those concepts can now be discussed very openly and uh, with clients and that's wonderful Um, and I think that that sort of healing work has also been very important Um, so I was um, until very recently on the trust uh, on the board of the Blackthorn Trust and that's an amazing healing garden um, and we did a lot of design work for them and I learned so much working with them as well um, in terms of healing and speaking your truth and being being vulnerable being able to speak about what really matters and uh, standing standing in your truth because of course that's why we don't speak up isn't it we don't speak up because it's a bit like when I said you know people think it's so woo um some people will and and actually that's fine because they can have a different path so one sort of has to get used to that Mm, yeah I'm, I'm almost thinking of um I'm thinking of a few things just as you say that it's almost like imagining there's somebody out there who who is struggling to speak up or to use their voice in a particular area and uh, yeah, I'm thinking of your readiness to speak up because if I look back just just very much from from the outside and I see that you you did a TED talk um, you speak beautifully on your Instagram page which feels like it comes from a place of authenticity um, like you said you you write um, for various different publications so I'm just generally interested in I guess that that impetus to speak up and how we could expedite it or how we could speed that process up for people um, so that it's not necessarily an age thing whereby we reach a certain age and it's like oh you know what I'm old and wise and I'm just going to say what it is I believe in it's almost looking at that kind of younger generation and and in and and maybe I'm just going to throw this out there and hear if you have any thoughts on that but is there anything that can be done to support us to speak up and to lean into our voice much earlier well I think I think the things like doing the 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 artist's way the daily pages and and knowing who you are is really important. What what I do see quite a bit of is people jumping on various bandwagons and thinking, well, I want to speak, so I'm going to say the same as somebody else. But actually, that isn't necessarily what these individuals, you know, what anybody themselves really thinks. So I think it's great if people could just sit down and, well, meditation is a brilliant way of doing it. Uh, to really understand yourself at any age. I mean, I, my children, I've taken them both on meditation retreats. Um, they, um, you know, they alternatively think that I'm completely barking, and they completely get it. Mm. Both, both, really. Um, but I think that that way of understanding yourself is is so important because then you can stand in your power and not feel that what you're saying is is um, to be beaten down. I think it's that it's that stillness that I was talking back at the beginning. It's it's that understanding of being part of something bigger and really important, um, and then you then you must speak it and and not worry what people say. Mm. 
and and t- so people might think you're mad even if you don't say anything so you might as well say it yeah <laughs> and would you say Marion that you worry far less than perhaps you previously would about what people yeah. think of myself about yeah. people think of me um mm. yes definitely definitely and I think that does come with a bit of um uh when a bit of endorsement because I have spent my whole life trying to achieve and ticking all the boxes and you know all the things you're supposed to do and I try to encourage my children in particular not to not to try to feel that they have to tick all of those boxes because because actually we are enough and I think if you can look at yourself in the mirror from any age and and say to yourself you are enough it's really important don't you love it sometimes you know if you look at people who whose features but I think particularly some Mediterranean women they have been told so often that they're beautiful um that in that their features might be organized in a way that um we might not think was beautiful here, but they are beautiful. They shine with an inner radiance. Um, and we must tell our children that they are beautiful and enough and clever and all those things. And tell ourselves. It's really important to look in the mirror and tell yourself, you are beautiful, mm. you are enough, um, I love you, all those sorts of things. Because it's uh, the, 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 the you inside you is part of the greater collective. I'm sounding a little bit woo here. Oh, I can tell. No, but no. <laughs> it's very important that we, we that we well, do. I think thankfully um, it, it's not it's not woo anymore at all, which is wonderful. And I think challenging the beauty standards and, and it's funny because when you mention the word beautiful, sometimes I actually avoid using the word at all with my children because I'm almost afraid that it fits in the same box as I know it doesn't as pretty or and it's almost like because of what I learned about beauty. Um, I no longer believe, but but you're right. It's reframing and redefining true beauty, um, and and mm. I think I think there's just a lovely energy right now of people really challenging the status quo and beliefs that we've inherited that are so deeply ingrained. And I had a conversation with Jenny Keane last week on, and she's doing wonderful work, just trying to really bring a new voice and to normalize sex and sexuality and irrespective of the theme so that happens to be sex and sexuality it's it really what matters is the insight which is what have we learned and I feel like this past year for me has certainly been a year of unlearning and and I think that everything that you say just just really hits home and something that I think that people are starting to realize more and more which is really nice Mm, I think they are too. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for the future. Um, and and it may have be that we have to go through lots more rocky patches. And, and I was reading somebody on Instagram recently who said we're going to have you know, lots of things need to be torn down and and so on or broken down, not torn down, but things will have to break down more before they before they are built back up. But I do feel that there's a huge surge of of really, really good energy to to do great things I'm very very excited about it and some classic courage to be questions Marion because we can't leave without those so in in any life there is a mix of pain and pleasure um so I'm interested just to hear from you how what, what tools perhaps do you have to manage those more painful periods or just tougher emotions uh well, I, I think that life is always a, a roller coaster, and we are sent lots of things to learn from. Um, 
So the tougher periods are our gifts as much as the really lovely things. So I think looking at them and, and, and wondering why they have been sent is always something which I, I would do. And sometimes I laugh out loud you know, if I've been sent a situation which just looks so dire. I'm like, oh, no, you know, what's this all about? Um, so I think understanding the, the triviality, I suppose, of, of all the smallness of, of who I am compared to everything else uh, is very helpful. Um, and um, the sense of the ridiculous is often helpful. But also, I think uh, that deep inner stillness and peace and, and knowing that uh, small, though I am, that I am part of something really big and really powerful. So in terms of specific tools, um, I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of walking. Um, I have wonderful friends, um, lovely family. All those sorts of things are, you know, if you, if you are supported, then that's huge. Um, but also I think that inner support, that deep inner support of your own um, core is really, really where I would go to. Um, yeah. And I love my bed. <laughs> oh, yes, actually, I did. I did see on your Instagram, you talked about two important ingredients for your mojo. And I remember a good night's sleep was one. And actually, maybe, maybe, maybe to that. Yeah, maybe you can share with our audience. What are your two ingredients to your mojo? Yeah. Well, a good night's sleep, I think, is really important. Um, and so I have a lovely bed, which was a gift from some wonderful friends. And then we added a headboard because... Um, Feng Shui is really important. So Pippa Sedgwick, amazing upholsterer, made us a beautiful headboard, which is, is really good. And a good night's sleep. I mean, you can handle anything after a good night's sleep, can't you? So, yes, that's really important. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is those little things. And you talked about understanding yourself and knowing yourself. And a good night's sleep might seem like a very small thing. But I know certainly my husband is very familiar now where he's like, I think you just need to sleep um, and, every, <laughs> and everything can just feel much bigger when you're when you're sleep deprived or just tired. Yeah, it really can. Um, yeah. And as we draw to an end, I guess, Marion, running a business. So despite a deep personal connection to your mission, which I definitely hear you have quite strongly, I'm sure has its challenges. And, and maybe just to elaborate or what have those challenges been for you and how have you worked through them? Well, running a business is is jolly tough uh, because you're you're always juggling um, doing the right thing um, and um, then keeping other people happy and obviously keeping your clients happy, working to deadlines. Uh, and I think that's a huge on the on the courage to be the vulnerability thing. That is a big thing. The fear of fear of nastiness or of of um, exposure or getting things wrong mm. um spending other people's money so all of those things are are big things to look after uh, look out for and i think the way um i have handled that has the the best thing for me has to be aligned with the outcome i want and then for my team to be al aligned to it um and working with dr david mcgavin at the, the blackthorn trust he um he had a wonderful phrase, which is, um, if we do the right thing, the gods will listen. Um, and that can be gods with a small G, capital G, you know, mm. Mother Earth, um, Universal Consciousness, whatever you like. 
but we try really hard as a, as a practice to to do the right thing in the belief that um, abundance will follow and that has been um, a huge eye-opener and it makes everything okay because when things go wrong as long as you've done your absolute best then you can go with a completely clear consciousness and say look this is this is what happened um this is how we're going to put it right whether that's internal people or external whatever so i think that has been a huge um uh, sort of journey and solace you know, things don't very often go wrong but it's a it's a lovely way to to be um and i love uh, boyd varty's lion tracker's guide to life do you know do you know that book I do. Um, he says yes. yeah he says um we don't know where we're going but we know how we're going to get there mm. that's kind of our mantra in the studio I love that. Marion, I think this takes us to a lovely place. It has been such a pleasure and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you, Sinead. Thank you so much for listening. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.